We need to talk. I hate those words. They make my stomach drop. Those moments in your life you completely dread. A person to confront, a phone call to make, a discussion to have. start becoming friends with someone, you start slow. First you learn their likes and their dislikes, their quirks and intricacies. And then there comes a time in many friendships where you start to learn about each other's most intimate and personal stories. Ryan is one of my closest friends. We've studied together, travelled together, lived together. There was nothing we couldn't talk about, no topic too taboo. Except one story. And as we became closer and closer, it became obvious to me that we needed to have this discussion. But where to start? Right at the beginning, I guess. Ryan, how long have we known each other? I'm going to say probably about five years now, since 2011. Since 2012, sorry, 2012. 2012. I think the first, the first memory, you're not going to like this, would probably be of you in language and discourse class way back at uni. And I think because you'd already done uni before and you'd had a few years of having to deal with annoying kids in their first year, you knew everything. And and so my first memory of you was basically going, no, no, that I'm pretty sure. And I can't remember what you said, but it would have been some ridiculous opinion of some sort. (laughs) I hated being in that class. I hated all of you. I hated all of you. I I remember Ryan vaguely in that class. I wasn't that interested in becoming friends with him, but, you know, sometimes you end up being drawn to people whether you like it or not. I forget the topic we were discussing, but I do remember Ryan talking about the private boarding school he went to, and immediately I was internally rolling my eyes. And then he said how he was at that boarding school thanks to his trust fund. Again, I'm thinking, ugh, trust fund. And then he mentioned it was his mother's trust fund. Why would he have a trust fund from his mother? Where's his mother? And then I realised. Oh, crap. (laughs) I'm that person that judges a book by its cover and I don't know the whole story. And the thing is, since then, I've I've never actually spoken to you about it or asked you about it, but I just know that she's not here. And I've always known that and I've always been too scared to talk about it to to ask you about it, and so... <laughs> and I never... I never buy flowers. Um, it's strange, because this year... we normally get them from our garden. Our garden's amazing, we're on a corner block, and Nan does beautiful things with the garden, but... this year there just wasn't many in bloom. So I had to go and buy some. When was the first, do you have a memory of the first moment that you knew? Um, that you just knew that someone had taken away your mother from you? Well, because it happened so young, I was told you know, she died in a car crash kind of thing. Really? 
just just because it's a lot more normal. Yeah. And you kind of see that happening in film and TV at a younger yeah. age. Car crashes are more understandable to grasp. But I would have been about five. Clearly, Nan was talking to one of the other kids' parents at school because they a few people were just wondering why it was Nan always there and never Mum. And she told them, and then somehow this kid had found out something because I think I was telling people who were asking inquisitively as kids do, what happened? And I was telling them, oh, she died in a car crash. But then one kid said, no, that's not true. And I didn't understand it then. I didn't believe him, of course. But then I asked my nan when she picked me up and I was sitting in the back seat, a little, little chauffeur. <laughs> and she took my hand. And it's interesting because a lot of the saddest moments of my life, I've been in the backseat of that car or sitting in that car and then been in the car and she's always took my hand. And she said, no, this is what happened. And in really nice words, I can't remember what, she told me that it was my father's fault and that my mum had been killed. There's always twigs and stuff that falls down from that big gum tree just there. Always falls onto the top. So I always have to make sure she's nice and clean. Not covered in sticks and leaves and stuff because we don't want that because she's beautiful. And then this is mummy. And this is great grandma, Nana. We got ants today. Lovely. You don't have any memories of your own, of your mother. How have you formed them? How have you collected them? I think a lot of what I remember of my mum isn't necessarily a memory. They're not memories. I feel like I've got memories of being with her when I was younger, but they're not memories because she wasn't there. It's like a, a patchwork of people's memories who have told me stories of how much they loved her and they've told of some way she's been really cheeky or some time she's been really loving and caring. And I've kind of put them all together to form my own memories, which is quite interesting. And having seen her stuff and her belongings and treasuring them, you've got like that emotion and you've got, when you, when you touch something of hers, it's like, I know she's touched that and so my memories are that they're not real. They're completely a figment of my own imagination, but they feel real. And I think that's what matters to me. Lock in the vase. They smell beautiful. And I think mum would love them. Yeah, she'd love them. I'm sure she would. So I would have been 18 months old, year and a half, very young bubba. And from speaking to family and looking through documents that kind of reflect on what happened, apparently my mum and dad were kind of going through a very rough patch and they were essentially looking at getting separated and he, he was accusing her of cheating on him and whatnot. But I know in my heart that 
that couldn't possibly be true. But um, they were separate. They were living apart at that time. And um, I was left just with one of my mum's friends. And this was up on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. She went back just to collect some things, I think some clothes and a few bits of furniture and that. And she, I think she was in the kitchen or something. And, or she went to a room and he was in the kitchen and then she came back. And as she came back in, he, he, he hit her across the head with an iron, which had apparently, that was it. Like that would have, that killed her. The blunt, the blunt force trauma was enough it, to cause enough brain injury that she was, she was dead. But um, it then went further and it's quite dark. And I suppose given that he was in a state of just believing that she cheated on him and it was, um, he'd broken his heart that he was in such a fit of rage that he took a knife and he also slit her throat. And I can't even remember if this is 100% accurate from what I've looked at reports and looked at all that, but apparently um, I'll, I'll admit something to you that you might find really strange that I find really quite morbid, a morbid behaviour in myself even though this is kind of like the first time I've ever spoken to you about it, I, I kind of knew, I kind of guessed, I, I joined the dots, that something bad had happened. And so this isn't actually the first time, this isn't actually new to me, you telling me all these all the, the horrible details of how it happened because I'd been, I, I looked on, online. <laughs> um, I'm such a little creepy, <laughs> dicky beak. <laughs> and... I came across this document of a, a review into cases mm-hmm. of manslaughter. Yeah, manslaughter. And this case of your parents is used as an example of someone who got an insanely light sentence. The memory that I have attached, I was in, I think, year two. So I would have been, what, seven or eight. And given this had happened when I was one and a half, so that's not long. Um, I found out that he'd been released from prison early and I ended up in hospital. Nothing wrong, but the shock, given I was so young and had known what had happened, I was terrified. I can't can't even remember the number. It was nine years. I'm glad that you brought that up, that you were doing a bit of sticky beaking and looking that up because out of all the shitty things that happened, I'm quite proud to say that in, at least in the state of Queensland where they were looking at, where they were using this case study to help review laws uh, into manslaughter, it, it has made a difference to something far greater. So, so many other people who deserve longer sentences and for those families and all those people that have to be on the other end of the horrible situation, they can feel a little bit of a better sense of justice from it. And I feel really glad that something so good can come out of something so horrible. 
As we sit here talking, I notice how he's answering all of my awkward questions without hesitation. He's articulate, thoughtful and calm. There's no anger. But I struggle to hold myself together. I'm furious at the justice system, upset at the senseless loss of life to domestic violence, devastated my friend grew up without a mother. But it doesn't stop me asking one last question. Have you ever met him? Have you ever met your father? No. But I, I did, in high school, um, one of my aunts, she sent out an email, just kind of an email chain with a funny joke, and there in all the, the CC'd emails was my father's name at hotmail.com or whatever it was. And I clicked it and for a few days kind of mulled over the decision of should I send something? And I sent an email and I think it was just the subject line that said, why? That's all I could put to, put to paper, so to speak. No formalities, no high, no regards. I didn't, didn't deserve any of that in my mind. At that point, this was when I was like 13 or 14 and I was emotional and going through changes and I was hormonal and we all are in that time. So I was just angry. And I got a response. And it was quite, there were formalities. It was kind of nice. It was a high. I, I wish I could explain what, I, what I've done, but I can't. And I can't forgive myself. And I live with that from what I've done every day. Something like that. And it just sat in my inbox for a few days. And then I told, I told my counsellor about it, the school counsellor, and I was like, look, this has happened. And they wanted to know, well, did I want to respond? And I wasn't sure. I said, well, that's completely up to you. And I eventually went back to the library and I logged on a computer after school. Tap, 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 tap. <laughs> and moved it to the trash. And I've not ever thought about contacting him since. It's too hard. And because the plaque doesn't get touched for quite a while, like they don't clean it here, so we, it's kind of left up to the people that um, come and visit. So I need to get the shoe polish. Gives it a really good shine. Just got to scrub all the golden letters. Yeah, it gives it a much nicer shine because otherwise it's just dirty and mucky. And this is the, the picture of mum. But the same picture at home growing up, which was a professional photo done. Um, she just looks radiant in her fabulous 80s get up <laughs> with the black sequins but she has my smile and once once she's all clean and once nana rose is all clean give her a good little kiss and tell her i love her because i love you i miss you